You are now listening to the June 29th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Walking Our Talk, Grace Upon Grace, and it's time to pray the Bible. First, let's begin with Walking Our Talk. Welcome to Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller. In this podcast series, Alan and I will discuss material adapted from our book, The Marital Mystery Tour. Join us as we share practical steps to put into action God's principles from His Word, one step at a time. Today, and we had so much in our last session that we wanted to do another one uh, we last time talked about why we don't pray as a couple. Could be for unforgiveness, could be judgment. Uh, the husband may pray and the wife may say, that's not the kind of prayers that you should pray. Or the, I've had also the husband prays eloquently and is real close to the Lord. And this gal came from a, a very um, private background. And so she just didn't feel like, go on, you pray and you can pray for both of us. But as a couple, it can be really refreshing to share our prayers together. And right. so, and then we talked about one of the answers to prayer that God had for you, seeing a picture of Jessica as a, how old was she? Like Oh, she's about three. Three. And before. so our kids, I believe, has watched as we've seen answers to prayer and as we've encouraged them to pray. And I think that's, as you have children, I think it's really important to pray on the way to things, whether it's games or uh, whether it's, you know, somebody mistreating them at school or whether it's losing things. (laughs) I know you have this thing about praying for lost things. Oh, yeah. Give us one of those. So you get a little story (laughs) about Polly always prays when she loses something, and God seems to show her where it is. God knows where everything is, and so I— But we don't. (laughs) When I misplace things or lose things, I I will pray and ask God to show me where they are. And one time I was in the kitchen and looked down at my engagement ring and uh, realized that the diamond had fallen out of my ring. Wow. And— I Oh, I panicked, and I started to pray and ask the Lord where it was and said, Lord, I know that you know where this is. And I had looked all around the floor, and I opened up our pantry closet, and I have to confess here, I am not the best housekeeper I, she keeps a great I, house, I, I but she is the, so hard on herself. I'm better now than I so, was when I had right. three little we'll, kids we'll around the house. We'll let you skate on that. Keep going, though. Well, I I just looked in that closet, and there amidst the potatoes and uh, dust bunnies, <laughs> I, I saw my ring, my mm. uh, diamond, just there on the floor. The Lord just showed me where it was. And uh, he does that with keys and glasses, you know, things that we tend to misplace. Right. It's n- nothing is too small and nothing is too great for our God. That's right. So we're going to talk a little bit about 
so when do we pray and what do we pray for? You know, we pray for individual needs. We pray for practical needs of everyday life, just like we were talking about. Pray about family issues, relationships. There are times where we want our kids to do something. And you know what? No matter what we say, no matter what we do, they especially in the teenage years, they tend to do the opposite. And we need to know that God cares more about them than we do and that God can actually help them be the people they want to be and that he wants them to be. But it may not happen in the time that we want. And so getting used to what we will call unanswered prayers, but what God just says is, it's not time yet. And right. if but- I were to do this, the person wouldn't get it. Well, so we do pray for a lot of personal things and, and family issues uh, for and our children and our family and doesn't know the Lord, too. Right. And we also expand that circle. We pray for our friends. We have a number of friends who are dealing with various uh, very serious health diseases. issues right mm-hmm. now. And we all then we expand the circle. We pray for our government. Our government. We pray for uh, our local government. We pray for our our church. We pray for our national leaders. We pray for missionaries. Well, overseas. and we do that because Scripture says, "Pray for the authorities around you." Right. I, right. He says uh, in Timothy, "I first ask you to pray." For those who are in authority. Right. And sometimes the list of, of things and people that we are to be praying for can be overwhelming. Daunting. It can seem like, oh my goodness, I if I prayed for all of these things, I would never get anything else done around the house because I would spend all my time praying. I mean, in a way, <laughs> that's what we should be doing because the Bible says, Pray without ceasing. We should be spending all of our time in God's presence. And as things come to mind, we pray about those things. We're driving down the street. All of a sudden, I think about somebody who's dealing with something. Well, instead of just thinking about that person— Pray about yeah, that issue. We Our church is like right downtown where there's fire engines that go by every time. And once in a while, you know, they'll be right in the middle of a sermon and there's an ambulance or a fire engine. I can't see it because you can't see. But when I hear them, I, I just pray for those people. And, I mean, this is a real weird thing that I pray for. Um, when the score is 9-11 in my racquetball, I always pray for those who lost their lives and their families of 9-11 every time. I mean, that's always what comes to mind. And I don't know if uh, right after 9-11 I had played racquetball or something, but for whatever reason, every time that score comes up, I always pray for those people. Wow, that's pretty (laughs) amazing. And I forget to pray about a lot of things. (laughs) But but the thing is, I think the thing we want to get across to you is it's not about— competing. It's not about trying to cover everything. For some people, they spend time with two or three things each day, and that's it. And so we're not trying to put something on you, but we're just saying pray for emotional needs, pray for physical needs, pray for financial. We are spiritual. We are emotional. We are um, intellectual people. 
We have bodies, minds, and spirits. We need to pray and all those things. And there's spiritual warfare. I mean, we could do a whole thing on spiritual warfare. And I remember a time when we were, I think we were newly married, and all of a sudden you got just sort of weird. And I just said, in the name of Jesus, get out of her. And I mean, I wouldn't encourage you to do that every time your wife has a problem. (laughs) But you looked at me, it's like you came to your senses and you went, thank you so much. I mean, I had no idea. There are demonic influences and Satan does not want our relationship to be one. And he does not want, he wants us to be arguing about things because if he can dislodge our unity in the spirit, in the bond of peace is what Colossians says, then he's got us. Right. And he can go on to the next person. It's so like screw tape letters that uh, C.S. Lewis, he's writing to Wormwood, and, you know, the guy is getting Christians all off on ridiculous things. And he goes, ah, I've taken care of them. Let's go on to the next group. And so marriages are falling apart in the Christian community all over the place. We need to be praying not only for the marriages of our country and the laws of our country to Uh, be able to come together with uh, biblical truth, but then we also need to be on the guard for each other when we have conflict and realize that God says he wants us to be unified in our life. That's right. So, but we are speaking here specifically about praying together as a couple and how to establish that. that When do you do it? Well, when it works. (laughs) Um, I'm just saying, we can pray anytime. We can pray in the car. We can pray in bed. Uh, You know, early in our marriage, we used to pray about our sexual relationship. I mean, uh, we probably should do that again. (laughs) We used to pray before we would have sex, like every time when we were first married, because we weren't very good at it it initially. All right, enough about that. They're embarrassed. Okay. But here's the thing. We need to work. We need to pray at a time that works for the two of us. You, as we have said before, are very much a morning person. You wake up and you are awake and Mm -hmm. you get going. And I I, uh, just told someone you are like a sunny day. You wake up in the morning. Your sun is shining brightly. And I wake up and I'm like, of cloudy, foggy day. <laughs> sort of everything's well, a little and misty. and you do have MS, so it, it <laughs> makes it, besides what you used to be was melancholy, but now you have actual physical issues that you, it just takes you time to wake up. Right, it does. It takes me some time. But usually our practice has gotten to be a rhythm. To, uh, yeah, we've gotten into a rhythm where um, after I've been awake for maybe an hour or so, you will. Uh, I've had my coffee. I've had my own time of reading the Bible or knitting, just spending some quiet time getting into my day. You will come to me and say, do you want to have some devotional time? And we use different books that we've read over the years that might have uh, like a 10-minute devotional piece. Right Right. now we're going through for the second or third time streams in the desert. It's really deep and um, Right, and we've used Oswald Chambers and we would recommend for couples 
Dennis Rainey and Barbara Rainey have written great stuff called Moments Together for Couples, for Couples with Kids. I mean, so you can go Google it and uh, Dennis and Barbara Rainey uh, Moments Together. Uh, the other one that we found that is really good, because we tend to be authors and can write devotionals ourselves, <laughs> we can be pretty critical. So uh, Nightlight is a great one by uh, Dobson. Right. Uh, James Dobson and Focus on the Family. So Night Light. Right. So, but what are some, uh, like how, how do we pray? We pray, uh, Scripture says, pray with thanksgiving to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Short times, long times, in between times. But God the Father wants us to pray just like I, as a father to my young kids, wanted them to ask me for things because it makes me enjoy my fathering when I can meet a need and see them fulfilled. And so it is with our Heavenly Father. He doesn't need it, but he has created us to have relationship with him and to ask. And he says, ask according to my will and you will receive. I like that. We also uh, have a little acrostic that we were given a a long time ago. There are uh, several like this, but it's uh, the word ACTS, A-C-T-S. And A stands for adoration, which is praising God. Um, Just starting out a time, instead of just jumping in and saying, oh, God, I need this. Won't you give me this? I, you know, I have this request for this other person. To start off saying, God, you are holy. You are great. Remembering who he is and just praising him for all of his different attributes. And that puts us in the mindset of remembering that God is who he says he is. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. All of those things are giving him all of the glory that he deserves and also putting us in the frame of mind that he can do everything that he says he will do. And then the C in Acts is confession. To If there is anything going on in my life that would be keeping God, if there's a, a sin in my life, a no Or somebody sin, I have something against, which yeah, is a sin. Yeah, if I've got something that could be blocking. <laughs> Especially my spouse. Yeah. <laughs> so if there's something there, I need to confess that and say, oh, God, I, I realize that. I've, I have this attitude that's wrong. Please forgive me for that. And, you know, you don't want to spend hours doing that. But to just release anything that I know might be standing in the way of God's ability to answer my prayers. And then uh, Thanksgiving, to just give him thanks for all the things that he is doing, to thank him in advance in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God. We know it's God's That's will. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says. Right. And you were just saying uh, in the First John passage, you know, that if we ask anything according to his will, well, we know that according to his will, <laughs> we are supposed to give thanks. Right. Whether we like it or not. Right. So, so. we give thanks. And then supplication, which is bringing our requests to God. 
So one of the things we've also found really helpful, if you don't know what the words are, you don't know how to pray, our encouragement is pray through Scripture. Um, passages like uh, Colossians 3, um, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Lord, I just pray that I will accept that I've been raised up with you and personalize it. And I want to keep seeking the things above and I want to mature in you. And I thank you that I am actually seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Um, and then he says, uh, but now, I'll put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. Well, that's a pretty tough list there. So, mm -hmm. Lord, help me not to be angry. Help me not to use abusive speech. So, you can pray through Scripture. And it, it really, if, again, if you don't have the words, Paul starts most of the epistles off with prayers for his people. And, uh, Paulie, I can see that we could do another five... Uh, <laughs> things on this. But let's go through real quick. We only have a couple of minutes left. Mm -hmm. Let's go through Beginning to Pray Together, part one with David and Jan Stoop. They wrote an article, and I would just Google being Beginning to Pray Together, and you'll probably get it. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, Isaiah 56, 7. Here are eight suggestions. Take the time needed to talk with each other about your thoughts and feelings about prayer and praying together. You know, that would be a good hour conversation. Just get a cup of coffee, put the kids away, watch a video, <laughs> whatever. But take some time to just talk about it. See if you can agree that this is something that you both want to do for your marriage. Talk about your fears, open up about the things that you think would be helpful, your expectations, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. and Go yeah. on with the next one. And the second one is pick a specific time and make a commitment to each other to begin praying together at that time. And, you know, it's kind of like what we have said earlier about when we need to communicate with each other and you make a contract. What time will work with you? I really want to get some time to pray together with you. It doesn't have to be an hour if we have Five, Five minutes, minutes or yeah. ten minutes, when is a good time? I mean, I've done stuff like I have to go out the door and I'll say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless <laughs> Polly. And then I'm out of there. Right. So third one is uh, don't be upset if you miss a day. Don't, you don't have to, you know, make it perfect. Decide, number four, decide who will do what. For example, who decides where you'll pray together? Who reminds the other one that it's time to pray together? Couples reported that they couldn't just make a commitment to a time and then assume both of them would remember it helped for their one person to take responsibility. So, I mean, I remember one time we were not getting our time and we said, we're going to pray at mealtime. We know we're going to see each other at dinner. We always used to have dinner together except on rare occasions. So before we had dessert, we had to pray together or we had to read a devotion. Before we even ate a meal, sometimes we would do it. Not with the kids. Don't do that to your kids. They <laughs> resent that because they're really hungry. So the next one says, start where you are both comfortable. That means if only one of you is comfortable praying out loud, then you don't start there for both aren't comfortable at that place. If one of you insists that you pray together silently, then both can be comfortable at that place, and that's where you begin. So, um, and sometimes 
I'm the one who seems to be doing all the praying out loud, and mm. you're just listening. And on other days, you're doing a lot of mm. praying out loud, and I'm just listening. Just like a conversation. And, uh, right, and it has nothing to do with how mature we are in Christ, but just sort of what's going on that day. You have a lot of things that are sort of boiling mm-hmm. into the surface in your mind some days. And so God is putting all of those things on your heart. And I can just listen and say, yes, Lord, yes, I agree with Alan's prayer. So praying in agreement is really important mm-hmm. because that's what brings oneness. So the most important thing that we can tell you is pray. This has been Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller where we put into action those principles we know from God's Word, one step at a time. You can find more help at our website, walkandtalk.org.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Malter of Arizona Community Church. Today's topic is James. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill. Hey, we started in this series in the book of James, and um, if you're new with us, it's still, it's a perfect time to jump in. If you don't know who James was, he was the half-brother of Jesus. So that makes him an interesting person, to say the least. He wasn't one of the original disciples. As a matter of fact, he was an unbeliever. As a brother of Jesus, he was resistant to everything that Jesus was proclaiming and teaching. But it was the power of the gospel, the power of his resurrected big brother that he could not deny. And of course, James became a believer and rose to prominence in the early church, the church of Jerusalem. And so he wrote this wonderful letter, this wonderful epistle that we are reading through and studying so again, it's a great time to be here today. So time and again throughout the ministry of Jesus, we see encounters between Jesus and those who considered themselves to be religious. In particular, were Jesus's encounters with a group of people called the Pharisees. Now, many of you know who the Pharisees are, but in case you don't, the Pharisees were a relatively small but very influential group of religious people within Judaism at the time of Christ. They weren't a huge group, but boy, did they hold power. Now, from a human point of view, you would think that it was the religious leaders or the religious people that Jesus would have been drawn to. But in fact, it was just the opposite. As a matter of fact, Jesus often reserved his harshest words for those that were ultra-religious. Jesus regularly called out the religious hypocrisy that he saw in the Pharisees and they were none too pleased about it. Let me give you an example just to get us started this morning. In Matthew chapter 15, we hear these words. And he, Jesus, called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Now let me stop right there and say this is one of the greatest verses in all the Bible because this is the reason you eat bacon. And that's why it is such an amazing verse. 
So this is why you eat bacon. Okay, and then it goes on in verse 12. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Ouch. Do you want to know one of the harshest things that you can say to somebody who sets themselves up as a spiritual leader? That's to call them a blind guide. It's one of the worst things. Every profession, I suppose, has a saying that stings. When you really want to insult somebody in a particular profession, you say this. Well, for those that are religious leaders, pastors, anyone that's a religious leader, one of the worst things that you can say about that person is that they are a blind guide. And yet that is exactly where Jesus goes. He goes right there and he says, these leaders of yours, they're blind guides. But what's interesting and the great irony is that the Pharisees knew the word of God. They knew the commandments of God backwards and forwards. For example, they knew it was wrong to commit adultery. They knew it was wrong to steal. They knew it was wrong to murder. See, the problem was that although they knew the word of God, they didn't do the word of God. They knew God's word, but they didn't do God's word. And this was a very, very big problem. As a matter of fact, Jesus, on more than one occasion, pointed this out to the people. Let me give you another example. Matthew 23, Jesus says these words. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. So they would tell the people correctly, do not commit adultery, don't, do not steal, do not commit murder. But then Jesus says this, but not the works they do. Do what they tell you to do, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. According to Jesus, the Pharisees were a group of people who didn't practice what they preached. Again, another harsh criticism. You want to sting somebody that's religious, tell them, you're a hypocrite. You don't practice what you preach. They knew the word of God, but they didn't do the word of God. And as a result, they were self-deceived. And you want to know the worst thing about somebody that's self-deceived? They don't know it. Self-deception is such a tragic issue that Jesus talked about it regularly. Perhaps one of the most famous passages is Matthew chapter 7. I quote it often because it's so powerful. But Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many people, many self-deceived people will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. On a side note, by the way, I was listening to a sermon this morning as I was doing the dishes. I got up, I get up early, I got up, had a cup of coffee, was doing the dishes, listening to a sermon. And uh, do you know how the Muslims interpret this passage? The Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet, but not the son of God, right? And so who are the only people that call Jesus Lord, Lord? Christians. And so the Muslims believe that when Jesus returns with Muhammad, he is going to say to us who are Christians, away from me, I never knew you, you who called me Lord, Lord. I'm not Lord, I'm just a prophet. That's how the Muslims interpret this passage. Do you understand that? Do you get the gist of that? Fascinating. It's a side note, but that was when I heard that this morning as I was doing the dishes. But Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. On judgment day, many religious people will think they're entering the kingdom of heaven, but they are in for a rude awakening. And they will be in for a rude awakening, first and foremost, because they are self-deceived. 
And even though they had done a lot of religious activities, they weren't actually doers of God's word. Look at what it says right here. But only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. You see, the Pharisees were practicing a type of religion that, although was impressive by man's standards, was no way impressive by God's standards. And this is super important to our conversation today. There is a type of religious activity that is impressive to man, but in no way is impressive to God. And we see this distinction all throughout the Bible, a religion that pleases God and a religion that doesn't. Let me give you a powerful example today from the book of Isaiah, the very first chapter. Isaiah, the prophet who lived 700 years before the time of Christ, having God speak through him, the Holy Spirit speak through him, wrote these words. Folks, listen to this passage and its indictment on worthless religion. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense, it is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, listen to this. This is an indictment on worthless religion. God says, I hate with all my being. There is a type of religion that God hates with all his being. And it is the type of religion that Jesus encountered in the Pharisees, a self-deceived group of ultra-religious men who practice lots of religious activities, but in no way please the Lord. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Now remember that. Take your evil deeds out of my sight because it's pertinent to the passage we're going to read out of James today. Stop doing wrong. And in particular, listen to verse 17 because it it reads, we're going to read James in a second and it reads just like this. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. Particular attention to those last two verses because church, It is my honor this morning to present to you the word of God out of the epistle of James, chapter one, beginning in verse 19. Hear the word of God this morning. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away, just like Isaiah, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only. And remember, the the problem is self-deception, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and goes away, and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue 
but deceives his heart, this person's religion, here it is, is worthless. Religion that is pure, remember the James passage, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So James, like his big brother Jesus before him, addresses the issue of self-deception in the early church. And the self-deception all centers around one main theme, and it is this. Don't just hear God's word, do what it says. Don't just listen, put into practice what you hear. Remember back in Matthew chapter 7, it is possible to do religious things all the while never pleasing God. Look at verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evil doers. Another time, Jesus, so you can be very religious and not please the Lord. Let me give you another example about being religious and not pleasing the Lord. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, In other words, you're really great about certain things. You're really good about giving God exactly what you're supposed to give him. I'll give him just this much. But look at the next sentence. And have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Again, the religious people were legalistic about certain rules, yet all the while neglecting what God truly wanted. He wanted people to walk humbly before him, to love justice, to love mercy, to care for the oppressed to walk in holiness with a pure heart before him at all times and in all ways. And so James, with a shepherd's heart, encourages the early church to not just listen. Don't just listen. Do. Put into practice what you hear. Otherwise, James says, you will be like a man who looks in the mirror and immediately goes away and forgets what he looks like. He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. It's significant that James uses this analogy. Let me ask you this. In all seriousness, this isn't a joke. What would you think of a person that looked at themselves in a mirror and went away and forgot what they looked like? You would think, and I mean this, and I'm not saying this, I'm saying this with all due sensitivity. You would think maybe there's some sort of dementia. And I say that because there are people in here, we have family members that are going through dementia and you know what that's like. Say something for them or for them to read something or see something and immediately forget. You know in your heart something's wrong when a person forgets like this. As you should be, you should be burdened in that way. Well, James has the exact same burden for those who are always hearing God's word but never doing it. They're always staring intently into the word of God but walking away and forgetting what it says. And according to James, this person or such people are self-deceived. They think they're pleasing God when in fact they are not. But here's what's interesting. It's at this point in our passage today that James says something fascinating and it's encouraging. And if you don't stop to look at it, you can easily run right by it. And here's what he says. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. Now look at what verse 25 says. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. What is James saying here? What he is saying is this, the one who hears the word of God, the one who hears God's word and perseveres in God's word will be blessed in his doing of God's word. Amen? Let me say it again. 
The one who hears God's word and perseveres in God's word will be blessed in his doing of God's word. You see, James understands that being a doer of God's word won't necessarily be easy, convenient, or popular. And you know who knows that? You do. Because many of you have been Christians for decades and you have paid a price for your obedience. You have paid a price with family members that have been upset with you. You have paid a price at work because you have lived out God's word and applied God's word even when it was hard, even when people wanted you to do otherwise. Doing God's word isn't necessarily easy, but James wants to remind you, it might not be easy, but you will be blessed. The man who does God's word, who hears it and perseveres in it, will be blessed in his doing of it. And this concept of being blessed by being a doer of God's word runs throughout the scriptures. Again, Psalm 1, 1 and 2, the very first Psalm, the very first verse, blessed is the man. The Psalms start with the word blessed. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates it, meditates this law day and night. And of course, this passage goes on to say, he will be like a tree firmly planted beside running waters. And again, I'm going to teach you guys this song if it's the last thing I do. I sang this all throughout college. We sang this verse. Sing it with me. I will delight in the law of the Lord. I will meditate day and night. And then like a tree firmly planted, I will prosper in my time. Isn't it great? We're going to sing that one of these days. I'm going to get Pastor Greg to sing that for us. But I, I went through college singing that. And folks, it was true. It was true. It was tough to be a Christian, a young Christian on a secular college campus, to live in the dorms. It was hard where there was much going on, but to walk that narrow path, guess what? There was great blessing on that narrow path. In Luke, we read these words, and he, Jesus, said these, as he said these things, Jesus is teaching, and what he is saying is so magnificent, so amazing, that a woman just blurts out. She can't help it. She blurts out, blessed is the womb that bore you. And the breasts at which you nursed, what a compliment. You want to talk about the greatest compliment you could give somebody is blessed are you, the mother that bore you. Jesus doesn't want her praise. Rather, he redirects her attention to the one who is truly blessed. Blessed rather, but he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and say it with me and keep it and keep it. There is a great blessing that comes to the believer who doesn't just listen to the word but is careful to do what it says, even if it comes at great personal cost in this lifetime. Folks, the road that leads to eternal life might be a narrow road, but there is great blessing that comes for those who persevere walking on that narrow road. Trust me, the broad road that leads to destruction, that's the road that looks like it has blessings on it, right? We look at the broad road and we go, oh, that's the, that's the road where I'm truly going to be blessed and happy, right? When you get on that road, what do you realize? The things of this world are fleeting. They're passing away. People are on this road, the road to destruction, thinking they're going to be blessed when it's not. It is not the case. The true blessing and the great secret in all of the world today is that when you walk that narrow road of obedience that leads to eternal life, you will find yourself blessed. Even if it comes at great personal cost to walk that narrow road of obedience. Of course, I am in no way implying that we are obedient, by our obedience, we somehow earn our way into heaven. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, just as the Protestant reformers taught it to us 500 years ago. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is the scriptures alone, not the Pope, the scriptures alone that are our final source of authority. And this is all soli deo gloria to the glory of God alone. Sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, 
sola scriptura and sola de gloria, to the glory of God alone. It was the, the five tenets of the Protestant Reformation. And that is why, folks, you are sitting in a Protestant church today and not necessarily a Catholic church. It is the cross and the risen Christ living in us that allows us to lead an obedient life. If you're here today, the message isn't try harder. The message is abide greater. Your strength to obey comes from the risen Christ living through you. It isn't you trying harder. It is Christ, you abiding in Christ. The greater that you abide, the more fruit that you'll bear. I'm living proof of this, by the way. The times I haven't applied God's word in my life, you know what happens? It is a God-ordained principle. You reap what you sow. Guess what happens when I don't obey God's word? It usually... Like 99.999999% of the time leads to discord, strife, or some form of grief in my life. There's no blessing in disobedience. There might be a short-term blessing, but usually I end up with some sort of strife, discord, or grief without fail. On the flip side of it, the times I am diligent about not only hearing God's word, but obeying God's word, even when it comes at great personal expense to me, guess what I have? I have a clear conscience. You want to know what's great about going to sleep at night? One of the best sleep sedatives is a clean conscience. You want to go to sleep at night, have a clean conscience. It's one of uh, one famous person said, and I've said it before, the softest pillow you'll ever sleep on is a clear conscience. When I do God's word, I have things, the blessings of a clean conscience. I have the blessings of relationships that are marked by peace. My decision-making is clearer and simpler. My prayers are powerful and effective. My reading of God's word, it is like I'm a child eating food for the first time. The blessings that come from being obedient are endless. Like I said earlier, it isn't always easy to be obedient, but there's great blessing in it. And James wants us to know that. If you're here today and you're wondering, what road should I be on? The broad road that leads to destruction or the narrow road that leads to life? You want to be on the narrow road that leads to life. Whatever you do, don't let the world convince you that there is blessing by being on the broad road that leads to destruction. There is not. You might have temporary worldly pleasure, but it will pass as soon as you know it. So let's get to brass tacks this morning. So what exactly does James have in mind when he says, be doers of the word? Does he have anything in mind? Well, our passage gives us some really good clues. For example, James starts the passage by saying this, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You want to know what James is saying in this verse? He's saying this, talk less, listen more, and don't be so easily angered. Talk less, listen more, and don't be so offended. Why is that significant? Because we live in a culture where just the opposite is happening, right? We live in a culture where everybody's talking, nobody's listening, and everybody's offended. You know that. You know that, right? We live in a culture, and the internet doesn't help this, and all the news outlets don't help this, help this, everybody's talking, nobody's listening, and everybody's running around offended. Listen, folks, whatever you do in this lifetime, do not take your cues from Fox News or CNN or MSNBC. You are citizens of a different kingdom. This kingdom, this world is not your home. You are kingdom, you are citizens of the kingdom above. And in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom that is from above, this principle reigns supreme. Talk less, listen more, and don't be easily offended. You watch the news outlets, they're going to tell you to do just the opposite of what God's word tells you to do. They're going to tell you to talk more, demand your rights, speak up, be offended. No, not in God's kingdom. We are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of, of the kingdom above, and we live by a different principle. We talk less, we listen more, we're patient. 
We hear people out. Better a patient man than one who conquers a city. We abide by different standards in the kingdom of God. You want to be a doer of God's word this week? Here it is. Talk less. Listen more. Don't be easily offended. And by the way, do you want to know what should offend you? What should offend you is not what you see on Fox News necessarily or on CNN or MSNBC. You are citizens of a different kingdom. The things that offend you in this lifetime should be the things that offend that kingdom and the king that sits on the throne therein. What offends me is when I watch a TV show and I see people blatantly blaspheming the name of Jesus Christ, taking the Lord's name in vain. That offends me. Your particular political views, listen, politicians come and go, kingdoms come and go. I do not worry about the things of this world. I am part of a kingdom that is advancing and has been advancing for 2,000 years with a king that is perfect. That is the kingdom I'm a part of. If you want to offend me, talk about that. The things of this world, no. Talk less, listen more. Don't be easily angered. Just getting started though. Remember how I said in Isaiah, he talked about, I said, remember the put away, put away the filthiness? What does James say? Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. You know what James is saying here? He's saying, take out the trash. Let me ask you a question. When you go home and there's a mess in your kitchen, when your kitchen is filthy, what do you do? You put the filthiness in the garbage and you take the garbage out. That's what you do. That's what all of us do. It's time to clean. We're going to take that which is filthy, put it in the garbage, and we're going to take the garbage out. And that's exactly what James says. He says, put away, take it out, take out the trash, the filthiness and the rampant wickedness, get rid of it. Then James says this, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, this is going to sting for some of you because it stings for me, because guess what runs rampant in my life? That thing. I have great control over so many things, but that little thing right there, I, sometimes, I can't control it. I just can't control it. If anyone thinks he is religious but does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. You want a great way to apply God's word this week? Here it is. Brace yourselves. Get ready. Think before you speak. Bridle your tongue. Consider your words. What does Ephesians 4.29 say? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building up others according to their needs. This is the standard in the kingdom of God. And what do you see on CNN, Fox, and MSNBC? You see just the opposite happening at the highest levels of government. Forgive me, I try not to talk politics, but I have to in this case. All sides of our government, they are not bridling their tongues. There is no bridling what you see. But guess where there should be a bridling of the tongue? Guess where that is an honor, where we cherish the bridling of the tongue? In the kingdom of God. The kingdom of this world, no. They don't value that. That's not a value to bridle your tongue, but it is when you are a citizen of the kingdom that is from above. And so we honor this. We cherish this value as believers. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. He has deception in his heart and his religion is worthless. Think before you speak. But perhaps the clearest example that James gives in our passage today of what good, pure religion looks like in God's sight. Remember when I told you in, to remember that last verse, verse 17 out of Isaiah? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You want a great way to apply God's word this week, according to James? Here it is. Love others and stay pure. Love others and stay pure. As a matter of fact, don't just love anyone. Love those who are most vulnerable, the orphans and the widows, the fatherless. Love those who can't pay you back. 
Love those who have no one defending them. You want to please God? You want to put God's word into practice this week? Do that. And by the way, we all have people in our life that fall into that category. Vulnerable people whom the world has cast aside, who the world doesn't love anymore. You want to do pure, practice pure religion this week? Seek out that person. Love them. Expect nothing in return. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, by the way. Don't do it for the praise of men. God may be the only one that sees what you do this week for somebody who is vulnerable. But no one understand this. God is pleased when you do. He is most pleased when you do. And of course, stay pure. That's what it says. And keep oneself unstained from the world. Take out the trash. Walk humbly before your God with a pure heart. Live a life of constant repentance. Repentance isn't just something we do once. It's a continually, continual turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, renew my heart this day. Renew my heart this hour, this minute. So I started the sermon by talking about the Pharisees. They were a self-deceived group of ultra-religious people. Although they knew the word of God, they didn't do the word of God. They were more interested in the praise of men than the praise of God. So if I may be so bold this morning, what about you? Is there an area where you can apply the word of God this week? Perhaps it's in a relationship that you are in where the word of God needs to come upon you in a fresh way and you put it to practice. Maybe it's in the area of finances where maybe you haven't been totally obedient with your finances and God's saying it's time to be obedient. Maybe it's at your work or in your neighborhood or even in your own very home. How can you apply God's word this week? Let me close in prayer. Well, Father in heaven, we come before you this day wanting God above all to be doers of your word, not just hearers. God, forgive us of the times that we have done religious things thinking that somehow that's pleasing to you and maybe we did it to impress those around us. But God, we want to practice pure religion. We want to look after the vulnerable. We want to have pure hearts. God, we want to walk humbly before you. God, help us to bridle our tongues. Help us to think before we speak. Remind us, God, that better a patient man than one who conquers a city. God, forgive us of the time that we have taken our cues from the world and not your word. We are citizens of a different kingdom. God, we take our cues from your word. In the quietness of your heart, to spend a moment in private prayer, lift to the Lord your heart. Ask him to show you any area where his word might take hold and shine through you this week. Spend a time, spend a moment in prayer. So Father, as we go, being not just hearers, but doers of your word, we love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, and the church said, amen. God bless you.
those of you that would like to raise your children instilling God's values and His words into their life. Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries can send you CDs of our children's program. If any of you are interested in the program, please contact the office or email us to receive the CD. I hope that this program can spread out through our English-speaking children. Our office number is 602-866-8999. And the email address is heartandsoul.org at gmail.com. Coming up next is It's Time to Pray the Bible. Hello, my name is Deborah Joy. I'm the host of this program. It's time to pray the Bible. Years ago, I was deeply hurt by a Christian friend. I knew immediately what to do in my mind, but it was very hard to truly forgive her from my heart. Then one day, the Lord reminded me of this prayer. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. His prayer from Luke chapter 22 verse 42 deeply pierced my heart as I heard His loving voice of instruction and conviction to obey His word and forgive my friend just as He graciously forgave me. When I repented for holding an offense against her and forgave her, God healed my heart. Then he did what only he could do. Jesus filled my heart with his agape love and compassion for her. 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says, The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. The Greek word for cause for stumbling is skandalon. This word means an offense, the part of a trap to which the bait is attached, 
a snare, a stumbling block, hindrances, and to put a stumbling block in one's way. The first scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. The next scripture reading is from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22-26. through 26. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. God wants to set us free from the snare of the devil, who has held us captive by offenses we have harbored in our hearts. I pray today God will enlighten the eyes of our understanding so we will see the true condition of our hearts and become free from offenses we are holding on to. God, give us mercy from your fountain of forgiveness. Enlighten the eyes of our understanding so we can see the true condition of our hearts. Holy Spirit, show us our sins so we can confess to you and choose you to reign in our lives as our Lord and Savior. We believe this promise. When we confess our sins, you are so faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts and see if there be any offensive way in us and lead us in your everlasting way. Father, please forgive us for holding any offenses, bitterness, and unforgiveness in our hearts towards others. Father, we confess that we cannot forgive them and love them in our own strength. Please fill us with your abundant grace so we can truly forgive them as you graciously have forgiven us. Because we love you, 
we long to obey your word. Today, we choose to forgive them and release all the offenses, accusations, judgments, hatred, and slander we have made against them. Set us free from the snare of the devil who has held us captive and heal our hearts from all the pain. Wash us with your precious blood and fill us with your resurrection life. Lord, because you have graciously forgiven us, we choose to also forgive ourselves for all the ways we have hurt others out of our own brokenness and hurts. Thank you for hearing our prayers and forgiving us and cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Lord, please draw us close to you. Sanctify us by your truth and fill us with your Holy Spirit. We remember how you perfectly model true forgiveness and love for us on the cross. We want to live our lives remembering and honoring your everlasting love. Fill our hearts with your agape love and compassion so we can love our enemies and truly bless them and pray for them. You are so rich in kindness and grace that you purchased our freedom and healing with your precious blood. Our hearts will once again be thrilled to sing passionate songs of joy and deliverance because you are always so good to us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Consider all the worlds I hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. When I think that God, His Son, not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin.
We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week. Thank you.